Welcome to Modern Aikidoist Podcast. My sincere thanks to listeners and those who have liked, subscribed, and commented. Your interest is noticed and deeply appreciated. For this episode, we're interviewing Tony Pazinski, who is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner, and he's got quite a background. We had a great talk just a few days ago, and the, the subject of that talk was kind of about the future of the martial arts and where martial arts in general tend to be going. So we want to sort of format our, our, our discussion with that, but we're going to go off into kind of some different areas too. So Tony, welcome to the podcast, and uh, maybe we'll start with having you give a little bit of your background for listeners that may not be familiar with you. Yes, thank you for having me, Tristan. This is uh, a good opportunity right now to have a nice discussion. And before we get started, just thank you for having me taking the time to do this podcast. You're welcome. All right. So my my background originally, I started in Taekwondo when I was like teenager, 13 years old, and uh, I was wrestling in camps. And the Ultimate Fighting Championship started, and I sent away for the the tapes because I had a subscription to Inside Kung Fu. I always wanted to do like Wing Chun and Bruce Lee things like that. And this is uh, just out. I live in a suburb just outside Philadelphia, and would luck as luck would have it, I got on the mailing list with the Gracie Jiu Jitsu in Torrance, California, and they had an instructor, one of the first American uh, instructors to come out of the Gracie Academy, and he was Steve Maxwell. And he had an academy in Philadelphia called Maxercise. So I went down there and everyone was doing jujitsu like it was on the UFC one and two. And uh, I felt like I hit the jackpot. And I was just I just turned 16 years old. And my mother allowed me to go down to the city coming from the suburbs. And I just fell in love with jujitsu and the Gracie family approach. And, uh, you know, now I'm here 25 years later from going from 16 years old now, 41 years old. And it's been a, a nice, amazing arc of experience training in the, with the Gracie family, making transitions with uh, the Japanese jiu-jitsu, and uh, the, now in the military, in the Air Force, combatives and things like that, and uh, some other things, all, just training all over the world. Sure. We had a, a good part of our conversation sort of covered an interesting project that you have, uh, have going on that you're about to release. Maybe you could give a, a few details about what that is. Uh, sure, that that's good. The my again, a lot of my training has been influenced in the the Brazilian style of jiu-jitsu or jiu-jitsu from Brazil. And uh, along the way, I started to train uh, Yushu Shuni combat jiu-jitsu with Michael De Pasquale Jr. He was a big advocate for me to understand jiu-jitsu because he always had the magazines coming out of New Jersey and the New York area. He had the magazine International Karate. So before I could. <laughs> Before the Gracies, it was his magazines, and I was always intrigued with judo and jujitsu, you know, being able to throw someone on the ground and, and being able to do that. And, you know, just reading his stories and things like that. And then the Gracies was was on the UFC, and, you know, I wanted to, to train that. So when I moved from uh, Philadelphia to California to do the instructor's training with the Gracie family, I always kept a good relationship with Michael DePasquale Jr. from a distance. You know, it was good. And uh, eventually I was able to do like a distance study. And before I, you know, 10, 15 years later into this, I, you know, made the transition from civilian life to the Air Force. And I had that window of opportunity, maybe like four months before I shipped out. And I would go and train at his school and um, learn his system, at least the, the combat system. And one of the, the byproducts of that was you when you start doing the, the Japanese style jiu-jitsu, the Yushishuni style, there's all the 
the nuances of the wrist locks and, and learning how to do joint manipulation and, and the unique pins that he endorses. And I really like that. And it, and it was all about, you know, how can you turn somebody and put them on their face, drive their shoulder into the ground? The arresting technique, the uh, what would be essentially the Tahoe Jitsu. And, you know, I kept that with me and I, I wanted to kind of incorporate the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, the wrestling, the, the mixed martial arts, everything, but really focus on when, especially when I went to, into the military of how can you restrain somebody? How can you just pin them down and, and wait for, you know, if you have to apprehend them or something like that. And I would discuss this with different security forces and I developed my different manuals of, I've written books, all kinds of things about martial arts and jujitsu. And it just kind of just built on that. And, you know, learning the, the different curriculums from the, the modern army combatives and then the air force curriculum and what the Marines were doing. And I wanted, I saw that there was a focus and a need for the apprehension technique. So I really focused in on that and um, you know, I developed my own uh, system, if you will, called the Gunshin Tahoe Jitsu, which is like military personnel arresting technique. And I wrote like a large manual for this and then I wanted to take the time to break it down, you know, not just give someone the book and say, hey, here, study. I wanted to shoot the videos and then I wanted to go further and say, well, I have all this time right now. Let me try to uh, develop a program for like the teachers and that we have the instructors training. So over the course of several, several years from like the last three years of my life, I've always been working on this little project among my other things that are going on in life, but I'm excited, you know, at the, the start of the new year, we're going to launch the, uh, website and everything's ready to go. That's really cool. I mean, I would like to keep up people up to date on what goes on when that finally comes out. And I remember during our talk, we had a really great uh, little mention or discussion about how martial arts tend to be viewed by lay people as being just a general, oh, well, you're a good fighter. You're a good, uh, you know how to handle yourself. But in reality, the specialized applications of what different arts can do are very distinct and very specialized. And I was intrigued about how you have, put what you've put together in terms of the apprehension applicable uh, techniques and approaches because one of the things uh, I remember encountering many years ago, I had a, a friend of mine who was a, uh, an orderly at a, at a hospital and he wound up getting some a 70-year-old guy that just started pummeling him because he, yeah. the guy kind of lost his mind, had a little bit of a dementia kind of thing going on and but he didn't know how to handle it. He, this guy was hands all over his head and he was smacking him around and, and, uh, but he was in that quandary of, well, how do I control this guy? I could easily overwhelm him because I'm younger, but I can't just punch him in the mouth. But yet, you know, he, he, he couldn't just keep getting beaten on either. And, uh, you know, sadly he wound up within that exchange, leaving enough of a mark on this guy that he lost his job and lost his, he would never work in, in healthcare again. Yeah. And that yet, yet that's another specialized application of how do you control somebody absolutely without hurting them, but you can't yes. just let yourself get beat on either. Um, and I think the apprehension techniques that you're talking about are, are yet another subset of particular application where, you know, people who need to control violent people, would find that very applicable. Yes. Um, uh, that's unfortunate of this story, but it, it does lend itself to a lot of the marketing that has been done in, in my classes or the people that I've been around. We've always 
said that, you know, when we're practicing the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu or the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, when it was, everybody thought it was going to be like the ultimate fighting championship. And, and that was the initial draw in the beginning in the early 90s. And the Brazilians would come up to the country, United States, and, you know, it became a very popular sport because of the federations that were established. And, you know, the popularity grew with the ultimate fighting championship. But when he got into the academy and he started learning jiu-jitsu, we, everybody was learning like self-defense, the little children, the women, the, the, the average Joe guy who wanted to use this in his own way. And our instructors would always say, look, look, you know, jiu-jitsu is a very effective martial art and it gives you the ability because things are based on leverage to control the amount of pain you want to put on someone. If you want, if you, and the positioning that's involved, you could actually punch the guy in, but you don't have to. You don't have to punch the person. You don't have to kick them, but you can still control the fight or even win the fight by verbal command or submission. So with all that being said, if I went back to your story, if that person would have known how to, you know, handle that situation outside of only understanding kicking and punching martial arts or knowing how to, you know, have some restraining technique they would have been able to not leave a mark and they could probably still be in the career field of healthcare. Sure. You know, and, and a yes. lot of times what I've noticed is in martial art classes and not just, I'm talking standalone self-defense classes where this is a little bit more explicable, but even in long, longer term martial art training, the, the assumption is you have an attacker, you're both standing, one starts beating on you. And really what you need to do is fight back and overwhelm that that attacker and it's usually portrayed like well this is a mugger or this is you know you've been ambushed in a street type situation but the reality of violence has so many different yes applications and outcomes and things i guess you'd call them rules of engagement and that can change not only based on are you a civilian are you a, a law enforcement officer or security personnel are you on duty or off duty all these things yes. play into it also, what is the circumstance right at that place and time? Such as, you know, would you restrain a stranger or would you restrain your drunk Uncle Ted who is going to hurt himself or somebody else if he's not held? Whereas a stranger, yeah. it's like, it's, you're not my problem. I just need to be safe. So even within the same person, that application of what they might need martial arts to do can vary drastically from one encounter to another. Would you, would you agree with that? Uh, yes, definitely. That is definitely the case. And it, it's, it's, that's why we need to continue to train in whatever we do. If you start off in one, like if you go through one portal into martial arts, you may end up in another portal of martial arts. So if you come in through the karate aspect of martial arts, that's what got you in the door. That's what got you into the community. Over time, it's okay that you end up at a judo dojo and you become passionate about judo. You know, you change, your life changes. You are placed in different career fields where you have to change. Myself, example. You know, the moment I became a, a non-commissioned officer, they were like, you know, you might have to apprehend one of your troops because, you know, they're doing bad themselves or someone else and you have to essentially arrest them. And I go, wow, I have to like go forward and like I can't run away from that type of situation. So self-defense has its aspects of training, uh, combat has its aspects of training and then you have like weapons. There's so many variables to the reality of violence or having to make the right decision at the right time and do the right move to better the situation. And then people say, ah, it's okay. I'll just, I'll just have a gun. It's like, well, man, sometimes you won't have the gun and other times you might have to defend somebody else. 
you know, somebody that's in trouble. So you need to be able to step up as a man and, you know, defend the person next to you. So that's true. In fact, you know, a lot of people and and I know a lot of folks that are, they're big on the, uh, carrying, carrying a pistol or carrying a firearm. And they, they really think, well, you know, boy, if if the maximum thing happens, I'm ready, I'm ready to get into a firefight or I'm ready to, you know, protect myself with my gun. But the reality is that right around 5% of violent encounters are actually intense enough to justify the use of lethal force. And I, I always think, well, what do you do for the other 95%? You're going to shoot somebody just because they shove you or yeah. like that. That's a very real application issue. And I think that as we get right, right at this current point in time, I think that Aikido and a lot of the, I guess you'd call them traditional, although the, even that word is kind of problematic, but a lot of the, the dojo style arts that assume, okay, the, the type of engagement you're likely to get into is you're going to be attacked by a mugger. You're going to be ambushed on a street. Really the shift seems to be, okay, well, how do we start to include sparring? And, and it seems like from a layperson's standpoint, they think, well, all right, we're not going to just look at a, at a mugger on a street. We're going to now look for, can you make your art succeed in a, in a sport fight? Well, th- even that is remarkably different from apprehending somebody or, dealing with a drunk at a party or somebody who's belligerent in a real in a yes. real room it's a total different application there are a lot of similarities but there are quite a few differences too um what would you say about about that concept well that's well to finish up the the gun aspect i always say to people that like here's how i like to answer that question well i, I can just have a gun i go well having a gun having a weapon is just a, a particular distance it's mm-hmm. it's Something that you can use. Like if I have a knife, I have to be at a certain distance. If I have a gun, I can be further away or I can be close. But sometimes you're super close and you need to know how to use your martial arts skills, for example, or your combatives. So I just kind of chalk it up with like, I'm not discouraging what you're saying, but just you, I need you to understand that that's a tool or a weapon that can be used from a certain distance. And it might be the right tool at the right time. So I, you know, I want them to start saying like, well, you know, he's right. Maybe I should think about some you know, taking some type of martial art, for example. And then when you head down that path, it's, you know, you're talking about sparring and, and performance-based martial arts versus the traditional martial arts and things like that. It really comes down to the environment that you're in and the the training methodology that you're being exposed to, all right? So you can walk into an empty room, you can put up any sign on the wall, but you have to start somewhere with context. So if you're going to say some basic like techniques in jiu-jitsu or martial arts from the, the 60s or something like that, they would have scenarios based on like a mugging, someone grabbing you. And that's where you that's where you started. And you have to start to learn what is the problem and what's the solution and how do I test this? How do I know that it's working? I had this conversation today on base after our class, our combatives class, and the, we were starting to break it down, self-defense versus, you know, the, the fighting versus uh, competition and how that those three pillars kind of influence your expression of jujitsu and your learning and you know am i am i being too too self-defense oriented or am i being too competitive or you know how do i defend if someone's trying to punch me in the face and i just said this this is what has to keep you honest you know because sometimes you do some you get really good at competition and you you get into some positions that are very flamboyant you're upside down and it, it works really well for the sport but you can't you can't apply that in a real situation and 
that type of martial art wasn't what, you know, my generation started before. We started because we wanted to learn how to fight. And then we quickly learned that using the concept of the fight, that will help us understand this martial art in a real way. And then we could learn about the self-defense techniques that were the classic techniques of jiu-jitsu and Aikido and how judo influences into the martial art. So whatever point you're at, you're only going to stay there for so long. You can't, you can't keep it up. You're not going to be doing self-defense for your whole, whole career in martial arts, your whole journey. It, it's got to change or you're, gonna, you're not going to last. It's just that's how I feel. And for those people that can do one thing for 20 years, I have the most respect for them. Even if they are doing something that is, is not combat-oriented, it's just something that's good for them, you know, that's good for that. That's that person, and I have respect for that. But they also have to keep reality that what they're doing is not effective in other contexts. Well, yeah, and I suppose once somebody hyper-specializes in one area, they're kind of like the uh, the guy with a hammer that sees every problem like a nail. And I've got a sport background, and when you get into competition, what I relate to after doing this for a few decades is you do get into that I-need-to-dominate sort of mode. I'm going to use all of my tools. I want to analyze my opponent, find out what his weaknesses are, what his strengths are, my goal there is to apply my strengths to his weaknesses in order to prevail and win a match or win a tournament. But yet, if you back it up and you take a look at a violent encounter with a civilian in this, on, the, on a street, you've got to do a lot of strategic analysis to say, do I even go down that road? Because if you if yeah. you go down that road and you realize only once you say, okay, now I'm going to get into a competition with you, you don't realize he's there with four friends until yeah. it's way too late. So in my mind, there's a, a layer of strategy there. It says in this moment, now the, the hairs in the back of my neck are standing up. Something's wrong. All right. What's the situation? I'm here with my wife. I'm here with my child. They're in danger. I need to get them out. I'm not going to engage in a young man's chest puffing competition even just with what I have to do in, in terms of saving my family or saving my loved ones and then assessing, okay, well, let's say I'm alone. Maybe I'm with a buddy of mine and I look and say, well, there's five guys over there. I'm not going to take two on five. That's just not a situation that's going to play out. So you, that limits your, how do I save myself? You yes. know, and I remember having a, a fellow martial artist tell me of a, a situation he was in many years ago where he, his ex-girlfriend invited him to her wedding. She was marrying somebody else. They were still friends. And uh, he thought, well, I don't know if I should go. I really never, his, her dad really never liked me. Her, her, her brother really never liked me. In fact, disliked me. But because it's her, she really insisted. And he came and he, he made his appearance at the, at the uh, wedding and went to the reception. The brother and the father proceeded to get drunk. You know, he said, I stuck around probably longer than I should have. And sure enough, <laughs> the brother worked up his Dutch courage and came over and started started a physical situation with them. And, uh, you know, it kind of came to that situation where he realized, do I really need to be in this room anymore? You know, have I made my appearance? Do I need to be here? Do I need to engage with this drunk guy and his whole family? Not just the one, the brother, but yeah. the brother, the father, you know, all the friends and how is that going to play out? And he kind of made a graceful exit, but it wasn't before the the bride actually had to get in between him, him and her brother 
to keep it from just going kind of crazy. And you think about, well, what martial art would you train for that situation? Well, it really wouldn't matter any of them. If you just have the basic sense to realize, how is this likely going to go? It doesn't matter whether you're a boxer, wrestler, sambo guy, jujitsu guy. If you're an idiot, you're going to get into a bad pickle. It's not no martial art or the, no techni- amount of technical skill is, or you're carrying a gun. Those technical skills are not going to be, solve your problem. It's your brain that's going to solve the problem. Yeah, I'm happy that the uh, the scenario worked out in your the narrative there. If that if you're if I would have had another if you would have told me another story of another friend of yours that lost, right? I would say <laughs> there's something wrong with your friends. They don't need they need to train, you know, they, and they need to train something that was working so they start winning the narratives when you hear the stories. But exactly, and, and even in retrospect, he said, <laughs> you know, if you're losing in the real life and you're losing in the narrative, that's that you're wrong. You know, exactly, you figure out what you're doing. And he said, you know, I, in retrospect, I probably should have left earlier to avoid even the, the dust up. But, yeah. you know, the fact that you get a, a bride who now has to deal with a possible fight at her reception between drunken relatives and her ex-boyfriend, I mean, uh, yeah, those that, are the life happens. situations that, that <laughs> tend to happen. It's not just you're outside an ATM machine and you get mugged, you know, like the typical caricature of violence that's often portrayed by martial arts instructors and practitioners where they imagine, yeah. you know, what could happen it's this is the crazy stuff that <laughs> you never really see coming the, it, it's true and um when i said that when my generation we wanted to learn how to fight and i i learned jujitsu the you know the effective stuff that was in the ufc before it became very popular was you know learning how to fight on the ground it was very it was like a different time and place and we had a lot of like the gracie challenge and all this stuff and it would happen at my academy and you know, I have a lot of stories about that, but the byproduct of watching myself being involved in this or other people around me that were winning the narratives and the stories and everybody having the war stories. And it was how quickly I understood that it was harder for me to uh, beat people inside the gym than it was to wrestle someone in high school at the, the, the weekend party or something like that. It was very easy to, you know, when I was always small, my nickname, my nickname in jujitsu is Little Tony. So I learned jiu-jitsu. I was like 130 pounds, you know, soaking wet. And I have like the, the classic jiu-jitsu marketing narrative. You know, I was a little guy and all my friends were bigger. And after three months of jiu-jitsu, I could start to beat up my, my social circle of like tough guys and beat up on them, like, you know, make them tap out. And it was very easy. And that gave me like a lot of confidence. And I was like, I got like almost like a power. I was like, man, I got to like keep this in check. And people would challenge me and all this other stuff. But in the gym, I couldn't do that so easily. For the first 10 months of my jiu-jitsu, I didn't submit anybody. I was just getting beat up and submitted and learning how to do defense and blah, 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 blah. And then when I went out and tried to do stuff on the weekend, I could destroy my friends and the, the, the different people like in the different social circles. So I've gone through all these stories or heard them in my journey about people telling success stories and things like that. That the quicker you can learn in any martial art that it's it's difficult to beat the purple in your gym. You don't need to test this stuff on the outside. And how quickly you can develop self, real self-confidence to handle yourself and then to start to have like overall awareness in what's happening in dangerous situations. So the best byproduct of all this training is if something happens in your life with a loved one or you're there and something's happening. If you're in a car and the car goes out of control, it's how you personally feel, how calm you are how you can see the situation 
because you train so much every day to put yourself under stress and pressure that you feel good. You feel like I can handle this. And that, that starts to project into your life when you're talking with people in a stressful situation or just, you know, stepping up for a job interview or in the military, you got to talk to this officer and reposition yourself. It's, it comes, it shows. And I really think that that is the, the different environments that you find yourself in in gyms. If you're not finding that, you're in the wrong place. That's true. You know, and, and one of the things that I, I find is uh, maybe disappointing in the martial arts community overall, but I think it's shifting in, in a good direction. And that is that when you have people that are practitioners of, of a certain art or of a certain subculture within the martial arts world, and they think what we're doing is great and what everybody else doing kind of sucks. And they have kind of this elitist attitude. And I think that there's an awareness coming now where people realize, well, people from sport arts and sparring arts, they've got some value to offer to what me as a martial artist has. Or people from the combative realm uh, have got things that they can offer. And people from the, the real world violence realm, things like experienced bouncers, security people, law enforcement officers, the insights that they have about how real violence works there's something of value there. So although yeah. these different realms are all separate from one another, they have very uh, a very common thread of principle that underlies the, uh, all of them. They have things in common. And that the more you learn about the different realms, maybe not that's your own realm, but the more you get input from those realms, the better martial artist and more well-rounded martial artist you're going to be. And... And I, and I see that that is kind of a growing point, which is why the subject that we were ta- wanted to talk about today was where are the martial arts going or where are they growing into, I think yeah. is going to be an important one, uh, especially as, you know, the, the, the 1800s is when martial arts really seemed to start branching off into their specialties, the Japanese arts along with others as well. But it's now seen that in our modern age, they've separated so much and hyper-specialized to such a degree that practitioners within them are starting to see such gaping holes that they want to start getting more feed feedback and input from the other ones so that they can start coming together again. Uh, and I remember I was talking a little about that, and uh, it seemed like to me that your program for the restraining techniques and apprehend, uh, uh, apprehension techniques kind of plays into that where somebody could say, I'm from a martial art that doesn't have any of those apprehension-type techniques. I'd love to go and actually add that to my repertoire. But I don't want to jump into another art. I don't want to abandon mine. I don't want to get in Dutch with my organization. But I'd really like this subset of tools that I want to explore. And so that's why I was intrigued with the program you're you're kind of putting together because uh, it it seems to offer like an a la carte approach to martial art training, which I'm very intrigued with. Yeah, um, that's that's good. The the idea is even like if I could just say, well, first you said some good big things. We start off with different martial artists and and different groups that think they're so superior and things like that, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And that's that's not good for the growth of martial arts, and it, it might have their benefits how they feel about themselves and running their little dojo, but it, overall, it's not good. What what really grows martial arts is when different people come together and evolve something. And if something is, is dying out, there's a reason for it. But there are aspects that are still alive that can contribute into something else. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm not reinventing anything about learning how to be eclectic and things like that. Sure. But 
in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, in a Gracie jiu-jitsu, in a grappling culture, it's always evolving. Different martial arts of grappling, the Japanese do judo a certain way, the, the, the French think and do judo a certain way, the Russians, the Brazilians, they, they, all, they all do different, uh, like within the, the speciality, there's like within it, there's, uh, there's a uniqueness, there's a, a speciality within the art, within the system the sub little subsystems, if you will. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. And what happens is a lot of these different martial arts, they have different rule sets for competition. And that's what really separates them. But everybody's trying to pick from like the best, like 15 years ago, the Brazilians were really not uh, doing the leg locks and things like that, like they do today. Mm -hmm. So if you wanted to learn leg locks, you had to go learn like Russian Sambo. If you wanted to, to be very effective at the throws, you needed to go train judo. Now the different grappling arts are all starting to look like the same thing. They all look like each other. Like the Russians are getting really good at the ground fight. The judo judokas are getting good at the ground fight, where the Brazilians are getting good at the leg locks. You follow me? Right. They're merging. The they're almost merging together. Right. And it's it's like, man, it doesn't. you don't have to go around the world. You can just go to one gym, and now it's like starting to all happening. And with like information that's out there, the internet, the, the videos, this – Everything is at our fingertips. So now we have to just really train and get down to the principles of what we're doing, what's making it real. So for those people that are like, they think their art is so superior, I'm like, well, show me why. Because my, my approach is I want to test it. I want to see what you're doing. I want to see how it works. I want to learn the nuances. And I'm not, I've been doing this for so long, I don't care about the techniques. I'll be able to see the principle in what you're doing. And if I can't see the principle, I want to test your principle. And if you don't understand what I'm talking about, your technique that you think you're so superior at, you don't even know what you're doing yet. But I wouldn't say it like that. I would just let's step on the mat and then I just say, hey, man, show me the move. And then I go, okay, and it doesn't work. Then what? That's a really hard situation to be in because you're never going to be in a situation like that unless the environment lends itself to that. So people need to like have the courage to put on a white belt and go out there and, and, and evolve. So we, we want to say that our arts are dying out because our own people are allowing it. They don't want to, you know, pass on their techniques. They don't want it. They get tired of doing martial arts. Their life changes. They have to keep that passion to keep it going. And they have to have that beginner mindset to keep on learning. So that's how you start off with your conversation about people that are being superior. We got to really get down to it. It gets down to the principle. It gets down to testing it. And if they can't make it work, they don't understand the full technique. And that's okay. Because if you go, you look to a different angle, you can say, oh, okay, well, the Japanese are doing it like this. The Brazilians are doing it like that. You're going to find your, your way to make it better. But you have to now change. you got to say, man, uh, the way I originally learned this, this is a better variation. This is a better technique. I think I'm going to start to incorporate that. So for, for the, the Gunshin Tahoe Jitsu, there's a need for restraining technique. There's police officers every day and military people that have to go forward. They can't step back. They have to put hands on. And my thing was... When I'm talking to the security forces, I say, how do you apprehend an airman? They, and every, every security forces had a different answer to me. One would say, uh, I tell him to put his hands up and turn around and you know, get on the ground. Others will use a taser. So there's always these different strategies. I was like, man, it has to be something better than that. And to be able to go forward and put your hands on someone, there has to be like a, str a strategic approach to it. Because you have to have a distance, and it's a certain distance that's uh, in law enforcement or security forces in the military where you're not, you're far away, but you're not too far away. And you know this, if you've ever been around police officers, they stand a certain way in an interview stance. 
And when someone kind of walks close to them, they kind of like they stop the guy and they're just like, hey, man, you're getting too close, but back up. So you'll start to see this in law law enforcement, how they stand and things like that. But they all do the same thing. Now it's like, how do you go from point A to point B and put that person on the ground? And that's where it comes down to, well, um, if I said to a Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy, I said, what do you teach the law enforcement people? They say, well, we have like a specific program that's based a lot on the ground fighting. Other academies say, I just train like with the general class. I wanted to have a program that could work for all security forces, all law enforcement, all first responders, and work on those old school 1950s Tahoe Jitsu techniques. But then how can you, what happens if you can no longer bend the person's wrist? What if there's resistance? What if we have to test this? Where do we go from here? And then you got to start looking for answers. Well, the, uh, the Filipino martial artists, they like to do this. The Brazilians like to do this. The, 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 the military combatives, they like to do it like this. So I started picking and choosing and coming up with a strategy. And ultimately, my working theory was, how do you go from the, this phase to putting hands on to putting the person on the ground? That's three phases. And in my program, we call it PCSing. And PCSing in the military is permanent change of duty station. But in Gunshin Tahoe Jitsu, it's a totally different thing. And it's you need to know these three stages of putting, having a distance, putting hands on, and then putting the person on the ground. And if you have that theory, it's almost like learning martial arts and kind of having a, a working strategy, how to, how to close the distance in a fight, how to have distance in a fight, how to use your tactics through these different phases and use it as a strategy. And then you can start to learn the curriculum techniques. Well, if you have the wrist here, you can start seeing, if you have knowledge, you can start to see the Aikido. You can start to see the Japanese Jiu-Jitsu. You can see the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. You can see these things. You can see the Kali. You know, mm-hmm. and that's that's what makes this program unique. And I'm happy that it's going to be launching, you know, in uh, January one. Actually, the website's open now, but it's just the splash page. Sure. You know, one of the things that I've noticed in studying apprehension videos, and I, I do like to, to study this, and this has been confirmed by the law enforcement people that I train with on a regular basis, is that really law enforcement personnel are not really trained for one-on-one apprehension that's not really at least here in the united states that's really not a major part of their uh i guess body of knowledge or the body of their training they're kind of taught just get a bunch of people and pile on somebody if they're really being unruly and the videos uh the surveillance video that i've seen enforces that i've even seen ones where you know two officers trying to restrain one person are getting in each other's way more than they're actually being effective yeah. at doing any restraint, much less working as a team. Um, Correct. And and that's very, very common, and it's sad. And, again, the, the police officers and whatnot that I train with, they're actually aberrations. They, they're, it's, they are rare in the fact that they go out and train in their spare time so that they can actually do what their fellow officers really don't aren't equipped to do or are not trained to do, which is to deal one-on-one with apprehending somebody in that in that sense that that rule of engagement of i don't have three or four other people around here to help me i got to do that i'll do it myself yeah it's 100 percent true and um even it, it's difficult in all like w- people are so busy with their jobs and they have so many things that they have to keep up to date and they have so many appointments that they have to make and then okay hey we need to train our combatives or, or law enforcement training whatever defensive tactics and it becomes a, a short period of time during the course of the year. And I'm talking very short. 
maybe like a little bit of training in one quarter, a little bit of training in the second quarters. And then the Otis is on the person if they really like it to go join a martial arts school, or maybe there's something in the department that has uh, some training that you can continue. So now it's like, you know, not everyone's going to be passionate about combatives, but they, it's very, very important to the job. You follow me? Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's very important for, uh, the, for law, for officers to, to work together. And a lot of the programs will uh, address these things. It's just sad that if someone doesn't train and they only do the quarterly training, when they go to the next quarterly training, it's a lot of review from the old, you know, that nothing really evolves. You just keep doing the same thing over and over again. And they don't, they don't, their skill set doesn't go up or what they're doing is just very, very limited. And uh, like, if you just, it's like someone going to a self-defense class and they learn like one trick for this particular problem. Well, what if the, what if the person of like changes a little bit? Well, your, your one trick doesn't work. Then you'd have to know another trick, but it's not a game of tricks. You know, you need to be able to have a, something to fall back on a system. And then it's like, well, you know, this guy was kind of good at boxing. So when he teaches the combatives, you can see the boxing influence. Or this guy, he's like a jujitsu guy, so you can see that he likes to influence a lot of jujitsu. And that's that's what happens in all of the instructors. They all have their specialties, and they start to influence what they're good at, which is very natural. But not everybody can do the same things. Everybody's different. And people that are really good at in one year, over the course of three or four or five years after an injury, you have to keep evolving. And you have to keep a, keep changing your approach to do the things that you did yesterday, and things are changing for tomorrow. You know, follow you follow me with that? Yeah, that yeah. Idea? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know, and what I'm it's, seeing it's is not it's not the it's not. I don't have like all the answers, but I, I wanted to I wanted to start off and at least try to address certain things and put some thought into it. Write a 500 page book and then put it on video and then reach out to different instructors and. You know, that was one of the reasons why I was able to befriend uh, Lenny Sly from a distance because I really, really liked his approach to the particular pin in the, the tension Aikido, the standing pin and not going on your knees in Aikido and, you know, like some of the, the different federations teach in Aikido. I don't, I don't want to be on my knees. I want to be standing. I want to be putting my, my knee pressure on top of the person like in uh, Yushishuni. So... I start to, to handpick the techniques and the applications for things that I felt were effective. And then how do we test it? Let's test it. And if it, if it was effective, we kept it. If it didn't, we wanted to fix it and make it make the basic under the basic technique more profound, trying to find the principle. And when you start to find the principles of what you're doing, you're going to start to see different lenses of different arts. And they, they pretty much do speak the same language. And that's why you can able you can travel the world and and train martial arts. Yeah, you know, and, and that's one of the things I did with with my own dojo is I realized I don't want to kneel on the ground with my pins, and so I started evolving the pins that I used myself and that I taught my students with the explanation of, you know, why would you ever want to kneel in gravel or on pavement or on concrete or on a, you know, slippery bar floor or whatever? You would rather prefer that you're standing. And I think that every martial artist, as they start thinking about well, what does my art do, and is it applicable for what I envision that I might need it for? And that, you know, when they think about, well, if I might need to defend myself in, a, in an actual fight, what, would, what, what are the tools that I would need for that? And as people, there's one thing to trust that your instructor is going to do all that R&D for you and then hand you your, that prepackaged set of, here's the skills that you should have, my <laughs> student. Or you get to that yeah. point where you realize, 
you know, I, my instructor gave me some great things, but maybe there's some things that I can look for outside of what he's given me that can add yeah. to what I really want in myself. And, and as people do that, I think that the, that a la carte sort of approach may be something that the arts grow into, especially as uh, I covered in a podcast a little while ago, a little bit ago about how organizations are actually detrimental to the art and the development and the innovation that go into them. They tend to limit themselves over time rather than expand themselves over time. And so I think in the next, I, if we look five, 10 years ahead, I bet there's going to be a lot of programs out there that say, you know what, you don't have to study our whole art but you can take some great things from us. I don't care if you're a judo person or a sambo person or a karate guy. If you want to learn what we do, here's how you do it. Just come and, and you can we can share our content with you. For example, Aikido dominates joint locks. I don't think any other art out there does some of the joint locks as well as, as Aikido tends to do them. Whereas somebody like uh, a practitioner likes uh, judo, Judo does throws extremely well. I don't even think there's any art that does throws like judo does. And there, I think all arts have some really great, like no, uh, some great technical things to offer that they do better than everybody else. Like imagine yeah. what the martial arts world would be if these groups started coming together and saying, we're going to throw our best stuff into the, into the mix and let's see how it blends together. Every time I've done this, and I, granted, I've not studied all arts or anything like that, but just the things that I have studied, I find that they blend together far better than I ever imagined when I started them. They didn't seem to fit together until I trained them for a while, and then I saw the common threads of how all, yeah. all these things really fit together nicely. That's true. That's that's it. And you, it's a way of thinking. It's a way of having your eyes change with the mission of what you're doing, and that that's it. I mean... When I can every every example that you give, if it's like judo is good at throws, it's to understand those throws, you're understanding a different distance. So like the the clinch is a is a very close distance, or the the judo grip when you have that kemikata when you have that certain distance, the throw can be applied differently based on the uniform, based on the rules. And then Sambo, they have more, it can be a little bit more close, and then the throw looks a little bit different. But you still need to learn the principles of the throw. And those principles are applied in all different cultures of grappling. And how that how that certain distance can be applied for a small joint manipulation, uh, a Kota Gayash, for example. Mm-hmm. How you can apply that at this particular moment, because this particular angle that you have and this particular resistance that the person is giving you, you can apply this right now. But you would never know that if you never learned the terminology or how to apply the, the technique of Kota Gayash, for example. Mm-hmm. And you just, it just takes time. And nothing, nothing happens overnight. And it really comes down to, you say, like the want, the want, the want. But it's really the need. It's discovering what you need. And if your instructor can teach you how to think and problem solve, you'll be able to leave that gym and go somewhere else and, you know, be close to another influence, someone that's going to give you the answers on a silver platter. But sometimes that silver platter is not going to be there. That instructor that you had or these two or three great instructors that you had in your life as mentors, you know, they're no longer there, but they've taught you how to think and how to, how to see technique and how to question and how to test and how to, how to train and not get hurt and 
pass it on to someone else and learn how to teach. All of those things are going to help you when you're far away from the person that's giving you all the answers. You're going to discover the answer. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I, as you were talking about that, it, it came to my mind, the, the idea that when you hyper-specialize, really you're heading towards a certain amount of irrelevance. You can have the nicest hammer in the world, but when you encounter a bolt, it really isn't going to help you very much. And I, and I think this is, as an instructor, it's easy to, with your students to, to think to yourself, okay, I'm not great at everything, but the few things I am good at, I'm going to teach my students and I'm going to really make sure they're really super good at the, that subset of things that I know. And in, in essence, then, you're, the instructor kind of becomes a bottleneck in that if your aptitude is for something that the instructor doesn't have, you're not going to really have that fulfilled. And so I know I, as an instructor, uh, am very adamant that my, my students get in front of other instructors, work with other practitioners and other arts. I bring instructors in and other martial artists in to teach them directly. I try to cross-train as much as I can to get influences from other people because all of that stuff very much enriches what we are as, as martial artists. And I think that I would really hope in, in the best of all worlds that martial artists in general can kind of lose their, their kind of arrogance and pride in, in their art and be a little more accepting of what all the other arts and these other instructors have to offer because they all have got great stuff. Um, yeah. There's such tremendous value in, in when we collaborate versus when we are kind of at odds with each other or you know trying to be elite to what our art is and sort of dismiss what other people are doing true and you know we started this conversation off you said ah i'm on the phone with uh tony bazensky and he's a brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner i hope that by the end of the conversation you know me speaking to you as an aikido specialist that in my point of view maybe yours as well i see uh, aikido as a subset of overall jiu-jitsu you know spelled a different way and it's you know you think about in the past, when we go into the we go into the dojo, the academy, we see the the different imagery of our masters, and they they taught us the basics. And for us to understand their the echoes of where they were trying to get to, we have to go deep with our basics and our understanding in, in a profound way of our fundamentals, so that the you know we're doing less instead of more, and we start to see the principles of what they were getting at, and then that way you can easily make the threads and connection to different arts. And at one time, one in place, all the different martial arts were taught as one. You know, they were like, you had to learn a lot of things. And it was all just taught. And it was over the years that things just kind of broke apart and went its different ways just because, you know, culture changed or society has changed. And, uh, you know, things had to, you know, be passed on some way. And it got passed on because maybe like that, that boxing instructor who's really, it, the combative instructor that teaches boxing, Maybe he felt he, he enjoyed and he specialized at boxing and he did his best at that point in time to pass on the combatives. But, you know, in his heart, he knew he, he wished that he could have more than just passing on the, the boxing, for example. So it, it, it is it is difficult, you know, to know all the things. And I hope that people can, like, define what they're doing and, and, and eventually don't even call it anything. You know, you don't have to even call it jujitsu. You're just. You're just learning movement. You're learning principles that are going to help you. You're learning martial arts. Or you're learning combatives. Like something simple 
you know, but you don't have to focus so much on the, the discipline, you know, just to get started. And then but, if you really want to head it, head down that direction, you know, there's always a, a place to go to really, really focus in and, and master something. That's true. You know, in, in the cross training that I've done, I've noticed that the more you see a principle echoed in other arts, the more universal that principle and fundamental is. And, and when you find a principle that is so universal that almost every art has it, and not even just martial arts, if you see it echoed in, in other things yeah. too, you will, you will now know that you're getting down to that, the root, like a true principle that's not been <laughs> altered because it fits in a certain sport realm or a certain uh you know combative realm or an academic realm but it fits in all of them now you know you're getting down to the true a true fundamental of hoplology or of you know the the science of of human combative behavior and performance you're really getting to it when you see it everywhere you know one of them being get get out of the way of an attack like you see that in boxing and wrestling and everything um yes and so I, i really hope that those the arts that have kind of become estranged from one another start growing back together again. And I think that even conversations like we're having here, we can, we appreciate the strengths that each other had have that rather than picking on each other's weaknesses and saying, well, we're better than you are. And you're, you know, that, that whole thing. And the internet I'm sure is just like a magnifier of that with bickering that goes on uh, within those realms. And, you know, it, it kind of goes back, I'm sure, millennia with people arguing, well, my school is better than yours or my culture is better than yours or anything. Yeah, kinda it's the- it's uh, I, look, here's the thing. Um, I'm, I'm not a master in jujitsu from Brazil, but I've been doing this for 25 years and I've been around some the grandmasters, the the masters of of our particular blend of jujitsu and i've been in rooms where you know the famous guys are on the mat and people i idolized people i was looking when i was coming up as through the development belts a blue belt i was watching them win the world championships and you know they're the masters of today and you know sometimes you'll get an opportunity to show something to these these masters and I think one of the best compliments that you can get from them is, you know, for them to just say, you know, there's something there, you know, yeah, definitely. If they can just say that there's something there. Like what you're doing is, is there, there's something there and people that, that are really, really, really good at something. And they've been around, they've seen this, this story play out a lot. You know, the young, the young black belt showing the old black belt, a technique, right? But the, the situation where I'm talking about is very deep where the person said there's something there because they're acknowledging they probably didn't see something like that before. They're respecting it and they see the principle versus somebody that's just starting. They don't know what they're even know. They don't even know what they to see. They don't even know what they're looking at. So they on the Internet, they'll just say, ah, that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And I just say to them, well, pick up where I left off. Instead of criticizing, pick up where the person left off, make it better or maybe see the next video or maybe study a little bit where we're going with this. Cause you, you get, you know, you only get to see a little bit of a clip on a video and that's not enough information. So don't be so quick to criticize and laugh when the masters are smiling and saying there's something there. It's a t- totally different spectrum and it takes a lot of time for you to be able to have the right eyes to see things like that. You know, I, I, I love the way that you, you phrase that because 
that's a perfect description of every time I read Book of Five Rings by Musashi. And I've been trying to read that book and understand it for 30 years. And every single time I read it, I pick out something that, that rings a bell or it, it uh, you know, the light bulb goes on over my head and then a bunch of stuff that makes no sense whatsoever. But I'll come back a year or two, five years later, and I'll read a sentence that made no sense. But only, only then will something make sense to me because of the understanding that I've built through my training, through my com- competing. And I'll be like, why did I never see this before? It's like a whole new just a whole new meaning that was that was there but but I could not see it and and I think yeah. what you're describing is the is the interpersonal experience of the very same thing because people when they when their understanding is at a certain level and they get exposed to a concept that's much high, much farther above them or farther above their experience level they can see it and not even see it not even comprehend yeah. it <laughs> well, that's that's interesting that you say that, and you know, of course, your eyes change every time you read that book. And um, you know, we we've done martial arts for so long, and when I started, I was always reading the magazines. I just wanted to re- write like an article one day to be in the magazine, Black Belt Magazine, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And you get to a point where you you actually do have a story. You've lived this wild, crazy life before you joined the military, and you've been around these great people, and. My first book that I ever wrote about jiu-jitsu was called The Story of Invisible Power, A Path Toward Jiu-Jitsu Principles and Execution. And this is not a book, a manual of techniques. It's a book about principles and the invisible jiu-jitsu that's made famous by Hicks and Gracie. And I got his permission to write the book and everything. Hmm. And I remember one person, he, uh, he, he emailed me and he says, you know, I, I just started jiu-jitsu and I wanted to buy a book and learn the techniques. And your book doesn't have the techniques. <laughs> and, I, and I said, sir, my, my book is not a, a manual of techniques. My book's the principles. And I said, how long have you been doing jujitsu, sir? He said, I just started, you know, I, I have my white belt and things like this. And I, you know, I really don't, I don't, I want his, he's going on and on. But I said, listen, I said, listen, I'll give you the money back. I'll send you the, the money. I'll send you, don't worry about the money. I go, but here's what I want you to do. When you get your blue belt, when it happens, I hope it's in 10 months or a year from now. I want you to pick up my book and I want you to read it again. And when you get your purple belt, I want you to read my book again. And then when you get your brown belt, read the book again. And then when you get your black belt, I want you to look at my book and read it one more time. And then he was like, okay. And he just kind of ended the conversation. But that's the truth. Every time someone picks up the book, they get lost in one of my little narratives or one of my experiences of being with these masters and what I was thinking, what I was doing and actually being a black belt for like, you know, 15 years. That means like black belt 10 years plus. And when you start getting around the real, the real martial art, the real person, the real deal, you have to like really analyze what you're doing because there's a lot of things that you could be doing wrong. And when you go back and look at all your basics, you're like, what the hell have I been doing? What have I been doing for the last 10, 15 years of my life? I, it can be better. Mm-hmm. It's, so that's what the book is about. The book is about invisible jujitsu, and that's the principles. It's not your expression of techniques and techniques and learning more and more and more techniques and going in, in, like a, in a linear direction. It's about going with your fundamentals deep and going down in the ground and expressing yourself in principle. And when you can start to express yourself in principles in your expression of the art, 
that's going to bleed into your classes when you're teaching people things that they can use on the mats or in their life. You follow me? And then if you're going to be exposed to other martial arts and learn and come from this type of angle, you're going to help a lot of people, even if they don't, they don't even help you with what your goal is for you to just touch them, be in their presence and, and help them with the, you know, some of the good things that, and they deserve it. That's a good thing. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you, you describe it in that way, because as you say that I've reflected on the people that I've trained or see trained that go from one art to another, the ones that transition the best and the fastest are the ones that have dug deep into those fundamentals of what makes their, their base art work. They tend to, to see those principles come out in the new art that they're practicing and they start getting good really, really fast because they can connect the principles they learned in their art with the new art. The people that I've seen struggle have never done that really deep dive. They just think of, well, my art is these movements or these particular techniques, and they almost have to go back to, to like square one or a, a blank canvas because yeah. they, don't, they don't have the, those deep principles that, have, that they have a, an understanding of that they can apply to the new, to the new art. And yeah, that there's tweaks and changes and, and, you know, more cosmetic differences than there are fundamental differences. I've noticed a great deal of fundamental similarities when it comes to the principles of almost all arts. That's true. I want, I want to leave you with like one story, then we can like kind of wrap this up. Sure. But, uh, it was a good one. It was, uh, I had my, my, when I started jujitsu, it was like the, I was reading the magazines of Michael D. Pasquale Jr. and everything like that. And then when the Gracies came to town, I was, you know, I wanted to train with as many Gracies as I could. And I always, I learned from like Elio Gracie, the Grandmaster, Hoist Gracie, Horion, Helson Gracie, Kaiki, like big, big names in the sport. And the one Gracie I wasn't able to train with was Hickson Gracie because he was on a different team or, you know, didn't, it didn't work out. So fast forward, you know, we become friends. We start the Jiu-Jitsu Global Federation with Carlos Gama and a byproduct of all this work and getting the federation together and things like that was I was able to work on curriculum with Hickson and I have a master's degree in education and curriculum instruction. So I was like, this is like my wheelhouse. And I never got a chance to, I mean, I went to a seminar here or there, but I never really got a chance to, to learn the Hickson Gracie's approach, this invisible stuff and all these different concepts. He's talking about connection and things like that. And just making what you already know better in a very, very uh, efficient, effective way. So in a sense of learning how to teach better, learning how to be a better practitioner, better expression, I hit the, like, the jackpot. And one day we were talking and he was saying, Tony, you know, I want you to you know, teach the, the lessons here and like, do the seminars and things like that because you have the, the look, you could speak English, you have the body, you're not like an older guy. And I was like, you know, that wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to make the transition to the military. But I just remember being in that conversation and he was like, we were talking about like having the answers to the unknown, right? Like uh, new, new techniques that are going to come down the, the, the out of competition or things like that. New techniques. How do you, how do you solve those problems? And I felt like a selfish kid in the sense that I had learned how to do this jujitsu all in a very profound way with the invisible techniques, all this connection and, and just, you know, my, my, my own expression was like, I, I understood leverage 
better than I ever stood before. My, my, my understanding of base and posture is beyond like what it was and all these things. And we were talking about the, how do you, how do you problem solve? And he was saying that his, his, his older black belts, his, uh, the masters, the guys that are older than me is like, they know how to think in principles and they will discover the answer. And I was saying to myself, man, I want to be like them, you know, but I felt so selfish that I had learned how to teach like this. I learned how to apply the techniques like this. And he, I just told that to him. I feel like I want to be like them. I want to be like the, the masters. And he just said to me, he said, Tony, you're on the right path. You know, you're going to, you're going to get there. And I thought that that was like really, really important to have that conversation and um, to know that and, and how my teaching would go on because I used to teach like having having the sequence figured out for people and I wanted to put together a nice sequence, put it on like a DVD and help my friends understand these complex techniques and kind of here's my, my, my revisions, here's my evolution and here's a, a name for it and the techniques are going to make you better and it'll make you know more and more and more. When you train with Hicks and you start learning less, you start doing less and you get more effective. And my technique became very, very fundamental was going all the way back to all the basics and then learning how to teach like this, because that was a very important thing. It's like, man, I want to be able to express myself like him and I want to be able to teach like this, not like his father, who I who I left my my parents when I was 18 years old and flew across the country on a one way ticket to learn how to teach like the Gracie's not to go study in university to learn from an academic point of view to learn how to teach. I want to learn how to teach like this. I want to be able to teach people to see the invisible jujitsu. And how do you do that? And I, and he taught me how to do that. And then when it came time to answer the unknown questions, I was like, I want to be like the masters. And he said, you're going to get there, Tony, you're on the right path. So that to me was like one of my, my best compliments and knowing that I would have to change. I would have to start teaching all this invisible jujitsu, present it like this, but then leave, tell the people at the beginning that we're going to learn more than what you should already know. And we're going to learn more than the invisible jujitsu. I would like to teach you how to problem solve and how to test what you're doing, because that's the real way that you're going to, you're going to be able to discover if it's working or not. And that's why I like to pass on to my seminars. I love to go there or sit in a room and say, listen, we're going to do everything today that you should already know how to do. And the moves are this, this, and this. And we're going to see, you know, what, what it is that we're going to do. And then when I get out there, I show them, like, that there's some things missing. And that's okay because today we're going to understand the principles. And we're going to look at your leverage and we're going to make it ten times better. Because every black belt in this room, there's one thing that you need to be able to do is understand leverage better than before. And everyone starts to agree. Like, that's true. Like I, I, and, and people can, you can, you can, you can listen to someone, you can read about that. But the only real way for me to show you that you don't understand leverage is to get you in a position that you already know, and then point out a flaw. And then that puts the person on the spot. Like, man, I didn't, I didn't, I'm saying, man, I'm not doing anything technical, sir. I'm not doing a, a martial arts move. I'm just doing what any strong person could do. And for you to do this move and then have to do the variation, there's something wrong with your first move. And everyone's shaking their head like, my God. And you look around the room and it's freaking, it's guys in, in coral belts, masters, like starting to shake their head. And you might be in a different country one day. No one speaks English and you're getting this translated. And your wife, that's Brazilian Portuguese, she's saying the translation the fastest she can. But she doesn't have to say anything. People can see 
without me even speaking that there's there's something there. So that's what I do. I challenge people on their principles. And if they don't understand the principles, they don't understand the art of where they're going. And at the end, I was like, there's more than that, guys. We need to be able to learn how to think this way, not only express ourselves in this way. And when we can do both of those things, we can look to the walls, look to the masters and say, hey, man, I know where you are going and we're going to all get there. Yeah, and I think that that just to, I guess, put a put a final uh, cap on it, it's with the concept that you talked about is and how it relates to the topic of this, which is the new frontier and the future of martial arts is to, I, I think, to get to those principles and leave behind the the dogma of, well, this is not my art. You're, I'm going to learn principles that are of your art, but I don't want to do that because my art should have everything that it has. And if people get aware of that, and really, I guess it's the, the next generation of what Bruce Lee went through when he looked at everything he was taught and just rejected the stuff that he felt was not useful and embraced the stuff that he found that was useful. And it didn't matter from yeah. what source. It, it didn't matter what art. Uh, it didn't matter whether it was fencing or savat or boxing or anything that he ran across. Like, I think that that's where any art, if they took that sort of mindset, that sort of almost science-like study and clarity towards what is efficient, what works, what are the principles that are sound, that's what I'm going to attach myself to, not merely a, a labeled art or a, a family system or a, you know, a, a copyrighted or trademarked um, <laughs> art of some kind because it's all yes. packaged up slick. It's The principles have got to be there. And, if, and I think it, and if we look over time, we look forward 10, 15, 20 years, we may not see jiu-jitsu, aikido, judo as much as much of separated arts as they are now more of a combined art where they start learning from each other and start coming together because human combat is human combat and uh yes the intent you know aikidoists get into this a lot with the well the intent shouldn't be to dominate or to fight and dominate but if you want to end a fight you have to understand what fighting is you have to thoroughly and intimately understand what the human body does when it is fighting even though your attempt is to merely control it you may not be fighting yourself in your own mind but you are navigating combat and in order to do to navigate it safely you have to understand it down to its roots uh, at least that's yes. my interpretation I, I, I think now it's a good interpretation i want you to even in your own words i want you to kind of stick to the word navigation mm -hmm. because in a real fight you may not be able to control everything but you can influence some stuff. You can influence it and maybe you come out in a successful way or maybe back to your friend at the, at the, the wedding. I think it's really hard for me to show up at my ex-girlfriend's wedding. And I don't think that would have been the right place for me to be. So just having some experiences in life, knowing the father, knowing the situation, I probably would have missed that party. And I wouldn't have gotten in trouble. That's so probably where the can, smart can, money would have been. You can influence. <laughs> yes. So. But uh, thank you very much for tonight. And um, it was a great conversation. Yep. And I mean, in 15 years, maybe it, everything doesn't have to be so big. Like, okay, maybe a picture 15 years from now that all the martial arts are going to come together. They're not. They're going to, in a small way, things are going to start to connect. Mm -hmm. And then over time, hopefully, you get some big changes that, that seem to happen overnight, but they really didn't. Correct. And that's, that's the, the real thing. So yeah. we'll, we'll all navigate in the right way. 
and the 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 smarter ones that have the the passion and they have the principles and they they have the persistence they're going to um kind of come together so it'll be good absolutely well thank you very much tony for for being on the podcast i had a great time and a great conversation so uh i really much appreciate you coming on and sharing your stuff i will uh have you send me a link and i'll put it in the description area of the show to send people to your site so they can go and check out your program hey thank you very much that'd be great thanks tony have a good night you as well what do you think please share your ideas in the comments if you're watching this on youtube or BitChute, or go to the facebook group aikido the marshall side and post a comment the spirit aikido online program is now live Subscribers get access to video training and mentoring to techniques and training methods that I've adopted from other martial arts to make my Aikido more practical. There is a link in the description section. I invite you to check it out. I always enjoy hearing from listeners of the show, whether through comments or questions. Thank you all for sharing your interest. Enjoy your training.